mindfulness mode. The more stored subconscious pain we have, the more we will start seeking some kind of way to quell that pain. Hey, Mindful Tribe, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining. I'm Bruce. I'm host of Mindfulness Mode. And today we're going to talk about attachment theory and mindfulness. What's the connection? We all know what mindfulness is. If you've listened at all to the show, you would know what mindfulness is, at least your version and maybe some versions of of people that I've interviewed because mindfulness can mean different things to different people of course it's like lots of lots of words they can mean different things to different people but mindfulness is very much connected to attachment theory but what is attachment theory well that's what we're going to be talking about today not only what is it but how does it affect you and how can you take control of your life if you feel like you are not in control because that's what attachment theory is all about. And well, it's June 20th and I'm I'm feeling good today. It's Father's Day here in Canada and I'm so grateful to have a son, to have my son Ben. And uh, you know, for a very long time I never thought that I would have children. I thought that I probably wasn't going to have children because my my first wife had already had Two children and uh, so she was a bit older and so I was quite sure that, that she and I were not going to have children but anyway surprise I ended up uh, getting remarried after after that marriage ended and wow I have a son and uh, he is a great guy and I'm just so grateful to have him and on Father's Day of course I I stop and reflect about what it's like just being a father. And then I was thinking about my father. I was thinking about, oh, yeah, well, it's Father's Day, and I I would always try to do something special for my father. Or, you know, I'd be thinking about my father on, on Father's Day. I would usually go to visit him. And so then, I well, my father passed away in 2019. You might have heard me mention this before. He died in uh, January of 2019. And so I thought, hmm, just thinking thoughts about my father. And then I just searched on my computer under my father's name. And up came this, this document. I visited with my dad, Charles Langford, visit, visit January 3rd, 2019. So that was just a couple of days before he died. I'd gone out and visited him. And I visited him for uh, quite a while. It's, my first paragraph says, Dad was very chatty today and told lots of stories about his life as Darlene and I talked with him from about 1 to 4.15. And after that, we went to Edith's and visited with her and then had supper with her. And so what that means is he was in the hospital at that time. And then I went to my mom's, which is my my dad and mom's home, went to visit my mom, Edith, and and we had a meal with her. So when I came home, I thought, you know what? I just want to really put all this into a, a document so I'll remember what he said and all the different stories and everything. And I was probably jotting down notes. Well, I, there's no probably about it. I was I was jotting down little notes as he talked. And, and I would say to him, you don't mind if I jot down some notes? And he would always say, oh, no, no, go ahead, because I like to have a notebook in my pocket. And he told me, well 
lots of things. There's 1,500 words here in this document that he told me things about his life. And, and he's, he used to play the accordion quite a bit and loved the accordion like, like you wouldn't believe. And so that's one of the things he did was when I was about 12 years old, he bought a brand new accordion for me. And believe me, this was a really big deal because he didn't buy things for people normally or at least not in my experience not not the the Charles Lankford I knew he didn't buy birthday gifts and in fact he was dead set against celebrating birthdays so he didn't buy birthday gifts didn't see any any value in that and Christmas definitely not you know he did not buy Christmas gifts and so it was always like if he ever bought something for you, you know, you just about drop dead of shock because it just didn't happen. Well, he bought me a brand new accordion. And uh, of course, the deal was he wanted me to learn how to play it. And I had already taken uh, piano lessons for a couple of years and really loved music and loved playing the piano. And then my piano teacher had uh, moved on and said she was going to stop teaching piano. She was doing other things. And so I, um, you know, I think probably my father said, well, hey, how about playing the accordion? And I probably said, sure. And that's likely how that accordion ended up there. So I found a, a an accordion teacher and I took accordion lessons for four years. And I have to say, it wasn't my favorite instrument. I loved the piano. Uh, I kind of enjoyed the accordion, but not in the same way that I loved some of the other instruments. Nevertheless, I played the accordion, and I remember the first time I played the accordion sort of in public for other people was... Um, I played it in church, and we went to this very small little church in the little village that was close to where we lived. And when I say village, it was a very tiny little village. And so there were probably, uh, you know, I'm guessing like under 50 people there. But I stood up, I probably would have been about 13 years old or so, maybe... Yeah, 12, 13. So I stood up to play that accordion, and I can still remember so vividly. I can remember my teeth chattering before I started, and I kept, I just would breathe, and then I would think, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, and my teeth were literally chattering together. And so I just started playing and did my songs and and it's funny how sometimes things don't change that much you know like if I get nervous now what do I do I I stop and I concentrate and I and I just breathe I just stop and breathe and that is uh, something that we can all do but what does this have to do with attachment theory well it has plenty to do with attachment theory and it does because attachment theory has to do with situations that happened when you were a kid, when you were young, especially up to, you know, seven years old. So this, I was older than that during these stories. But um, so my dad, this is something he told me in this last visit, or this was close to the last visit I ever had with him. He said he used to play the accordion at a nursing home. 
And uh, of course, I knew this, but he was telling me, he was recounting all this to me and how he said there was this nursing home uh, where he would go and they were very receptive, he said. And he played at another one in Strathroy many, many, many times and, and how receptive they were and they would clap. And he said, well, you know, and he, he kind of had a slow talk, a slow way of conveying what he had to say. And, and he said, well, you know, I played at this other place, but he said, I, don't, I didn't think they appreciated it much. He says, well, you could, you, could, you could judge based on how they reacted when it was time to leave. Some places would clap and thank, thank you, while other places, he said, there'd just kind of be silence at the end. So there were certain nursing homes where he would go and play the accordion, and boy, did they ever appreciate it. He said, he said there was one nursing home that was so appreciative that he had a standing invitation. He could drop in there any time to play, and they would be happy and grateful to see him and to hear the music. And one of the reasons why I think of the, the accordion on Father's Day is because you know, I did that four years of accordion lessons, and and I would sit on this, uh, it was like a bench in our living room, and I would had this little spot where I would practice, and every night he would come in and he'd sit in his chair, and then I'd sit on this little padded bench, and I'd practice the accordion, and that's what he wanted. He wanted to be able to sit there and hear me play the accordion and practice it, and I remember that I wanted an audience. Like I wanted to have somebody in the room when I was practicing. And he didn't say much, but I just know that he really liked the accordion. Well, then later when he retired from farming, which was of course many years later, then he came to me and he says, well, Bruce, would you teach me to play the accordion? And I was like, what? And I was, I was a music teacher in a school by this time. And I thought, oh my gosh, like that sounds like a really big job to teach him how to play the accordion. But I said, yeah, okay. So, so we set up like a, as like a standing lesson every two weeks because I lived in the city and he lived way over, you know, it was like 45 minute drive, I guess. And so he would come in every, every two weeks and have a, a lesson. And it was, a big challenge because he was a scary man and he was a scary man because of the way he was when when I was a kid you know he was not very warm or friendly he was not very nice a lot of the time he was angry 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 he had oh man he had so much anger and you just like I've mentioned before that it, it felt like we were walking on eggshells, or I say it felt like I was walking on eggshells as I walked around the house, not knowing when he was going to explode. Now, he wasn't in the house a lot of the time because he was out doing his farming stuff, but it was not easy having that much fear. But he had such seething anger that it was, it was just, you know... When he asked me to teach him accordion, I was like, oh, really? Like, ah, you know. And anyway, every week I, I would just think, well, as long as I can teach him one basic concept 
as long as I can get through this lesson and it, it doesn't end up with him being angry or something. But I mean, he was mellowed out by then, so he didn't get angry. He was excited to learn the accordion. And the thing was, he had such big calloused farmer hands, you know, like his fingers, his hands were just very, very much of farmer's hands, you know, like so calloused and big. And the reason I'm saying that is because on the accordion, there are 120 buttons on the left hand side that you play with your left hand. And you have to be able to feel because certain buttons have like an indentation. And so you have to be able to feel that so you can you can know wh what keys you're playing because you can't see it, right? And so as long as you know you're in the right place with your hand, you can then go ahead and you sort of navigate from there. But the first, the first week I thought, and this was the first couple of weeks too, I thought, well, he just can't, he just cannot feel the key. So how, how am I going to be able to get him to play the, the accordion? Because he can't tell which key is which. Well, he came back the next week, and when he took his accordion out, I noticed that there was a hacksaw blade in the accordion case. And I said, so what's going on with the hacksaw blade? And he says, well, I couldn't feel the darn, the darn button, so I just took my hacksaw and I just, I just made some extra ridges in it. And sure enough, he had just gouged it, gouged it, gouged it with the hacksaw blade so that he could truly then feel it with his calloused finger. So I could really remember that. So that actually helped him quite a bit, and then he could tell where C was. So attachment theory, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about attachment theory, and uh, thanks for letting me just go on a little bit about my dad, uh, because like I said, that is related to attachment theory. And uh, so what is attachment theory exactly? Well, I'm going to... First of all, just share some information about what it is. But then more importantly, if you hear this and you think, hey, maybe that's why my life is the way it is. Maybe that's why I have this addiction. Maybe that's why I feel like I can't make any lasting relationships in my life. Maybe that's why I look back and I think, why have I kind of ended all the friendships I ever had with random people and now I'm living my life with very few, you know, connections. Well, it could very well be related to this. So, so hang on, listen up. Attachment theory is focused on the relationships and bonds between people, particularly long-term relationships. It's relationships like those between a parent and a child or those between romantic partners or or even just really good friends and so uh, in Britain there was a psychologist named John Bowlby and he was the first person that really started talking about attachment theory John Bowlby B-O-W-L-B-Y and he described attachment theory this way he described attachment this way, and then it was the theory that he came up with. Quote, lasting psychological connectedness between human beings. And so because of uh, his theories about attachment 
and whether we do attach or we don't and how we feel about it and all this kind of thing, well, then you started to realize that a lot of addictions that people have in life, well, it, it's related to how we attach or do not attach to people around us and to the pain we feel as far as whether we did not have an attachment or whether we do have an attachment. So, so Bowlby, this psychologist, was interested in understanding the separation anxiety and distress that kids experience when they're separated from their parents or from their primary caregivers. And some of the earliest behavioral theories suggested that attachment was not really a big deal, that it was just just a learned behavior. These early theories proposed that attachment was just the result of, of the person that fed the child. And because the, care, the caregiver would feed the child and provide nourishment, well, then they figured then the child would become attached. But what Bowlby figured out is that that wasn't really true, is that even if somebody did feed the person, feed the person, feed the person, then they could still have anxiety um, as a result of that relationship. So he found that attachment was characterized by clear behavioral and motivational patterns. So like when when a child would become frightened, they would you know, go to that primary caregiver for comfort and care. So attachment is the emotional bond with another person. So when we're talking about attachment theory or if somebody said, you know, I have attachment issues, well, it's related to this emotional bond with another person. And he believed that the earliest bonds formed by children with their caregivers had a tremendous impact on things that would happen throughout their entire remaining life. And he suggested that attachment uh, served to keep the infant close to the mother, thus improving the child's chances of survival. So that's kind of why attachment theory exists and why, you know, why it's sort of set up that, you know, a baby becomes attached to the caregiver. What's that all about? Well, it's to improve their chances of survival. So he viewed this as a product of evolutionary processes. While the behavior of theories of attachment suggested that attachment was a learned process, he proposed that children are born with this innate drive to form attachments with caregivers. So he did all kinds of study and writing about this and he determined that it was you know at the very beginning it's food that led to the forming of the attachment behavior but but Bowlby and there were others as well doing this kind of work they they determined that it wasn't just about food and and that kind of thing. It was way more than that. It says that the central theme of attachment theory is that primary caregivers who are available and responsive to an infant's needs 
allow the child to develop a sense of security. And the infant must know that the caregiver is dependable. And they believe that that person is dependable. And that creates a secure base for the child to then explore the world. And then there were other psychologists that expanded on the research that was done by Bowlby, of course. And so it's become a huge area of study. And so now they've determined that, that there were three or four major styles of attachment. And there's one called secure attachment. There's one called avoidant insecure attachment. There's uh, one called ambivalent insecure attachment. And there's a fourth kind called disorganized insecure attachment. And, you know, you can, you can search this up and read all about it and, and uh, find out all kinds of interesting information about attachment theory. But uh, Harry Harlow did some fairly famous studies on this. And this was back in the 50s and the 60s. And he demonstrated that uh, the kind of bond that we create with somebody in the first couple of years of life are very, very impactful. And in one version of his experiment, he used newborn rhesus monkeys. They were separated from their birth mothers, and they were reared by surrogate mothers. The infant monkeys were placed in cages with two wire monkey mothers. And one of the wire monkeys held a bottle from which the infant monkey could drink, but the other wire monkey was covered with soft terry cloth. So the infant monkeys would go to the wire mother to get their food, but then they would spend most of their time with the soft cloth mother. So if they were frightened or had an issue, they would turn to the cloth-covered mother for comfort and security. So... A lot of interesting studies that have been done that have determined basically that those early years up to age seven, that, you know, whether we have like a lot of great, positive, trustful interaction with a caregiver, or whether maybe the caregiver is more, um, what would I say, like not that loving. You know, not that touchy-feely, just kind of, oh, yeah, let the, let the kid cry. They'll get over it, you know, this kind of thing. Well, we now know that that kind of attitude has a very lasting effect on, on children and, and, and adults, you know. So I'm just going to go ahead and start talking now more about if you're an adult and you're thinking, oh, well, maybe this, maybe this could have had some effect on me. Maybe this is why I'm addicted to this substance. Or maybe this is why I can't seem to take control of my life in this way. Well, maybe it has something to do with attachment. So if that's the case, what do we do about it? Where do we start? And so here's the thing. And here's how this is related to mindfulness, because of course, you well know that if you are aware of mindfulness and what it means, you're going to start noticing your inner voice. You're going to start noticing that inner dialogue. I call it the inner bully, because a lot of times, 
you know, if you listen to the voices in your head, a lot of it is very negative. A lot of it is putting you down or saying, you know, oh, you're a loser, or you can't do this, or you can't do that. A lot of times that inner bully is very, very nasty. So as you know, my goal on the show is to help you be more mindful, to help you be more calm and live a better life. I have a mindfulness meditation that you can download for free. You do not need to leave your email address or anything like that. It's my gift to you. It's called Peace and Calm. And you just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash peace37 and you can listen to it right there or there's a download button as well near the play button it just has an arrow so peace and calm it is password protected so you just go to mindfulnessmode.com peace 37 and then type in the password peace 37 enjoy that guided meditation mindful tribe so one of the things that you've learned from me if you've been listening for any length of time is that uh, through mindfulness, I'm very focused on the conscious and the subconscious mind because those are two very distinct minds that we have. We have our conscious, we have our subconscious mind. And it, once you start to understand that the subconscious mind is really controlling our behaviors much more than our conscious mind is, then you start to understand how mindfulness can help you. Mindfulness can help you um, start to take control of your life and help you understand why things are the way they are in your life. So in uh, relation to attachment and attachment theory, then we can actually look back, consider what happened in your life and in the early days, possibly you can remember some incidences that, that happened, then you can look back and you might think, oh, gee, if, you know, I really wasn't loved very much when I was a, a little child, or I was being bounced around from one home to another, or whatever the case may be for you. Well, maybe you're thinking back to that and you're thinking, wow, yeah, that conscious and subconscious mind, that was like a war. That still is like a war within myself that, that, you know, maybe when it comes to health, you really want to be healthy, you really want to be fit, you want to go to the gym, you want to eat healthy foods, but you just don't. You know, and, and you can't figure it out. You know, there's a big part of you that wants to go to the gym and you want to continue to be healthy. You want to eat healthy. But then when it really comes down to it, maybe you're overweight. Maybe you're not eating healthy. Well, sometimes it has to do with being productive. Sometimes it has to do with uh, sabotaging relationships and you're thinking, well, I'm going into a new relationship and this is going to be different. And this time I'm not going to, you know, do some of the things I've done in the past. I'm going to be really upbeat and positive and, and, and uh, it'll be a great relationship. And then before long, you find yourself in the same position that you were uh, 
before? Well, it's usually that there's this whole thing going on in your conscious mind. It has one intention. And then your subconscious mind, and your subconscious mind basically wins all the time in the end. Well, your subconscious mind is a different set of rules that it's playing by. So maybe you're looking back and thinking, okay, what's happened in my life that has caused all this? Well, let's say you're listening to this and you've come to the conclusion, yeah, my issues are because there's really a war within myself between my conscious and subconscious. Well, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to deal with this? Well, you've hit the first step very successfully that you've noticed that you've got your conscious and subconscious minds both kind of going against each other with this war. And so you need to be able to learn how to reprogram what's not working for you. And that is possible. That is something that we've talked about on the show a lot and you can actually you can actually make these changes for yourself sometimes people find it easier if they have someone to help to help them with this but you can do it yourself so i think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that if you're you're fighting something you want something to be different in your life and you you just so determined you're so determined you're so determined to make that change to to stop doing the thing let's say it's a food issue and you're so determined you're going to change your eating habits and you're so determined well anything that you fight you feed and this has come up over and over on the show anything that you Anything that you are trying to stop doing, so like let's say I want to stop, I'm, I want to stop smoking. I want to quit smoking. I want to quit smoking. I want. I've, I've got to do this. I've got to stop smoking. I've got to. Well, so you're focusing on it in your mind so much. What your subconscious mind is hearing is smoking, 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 smoking. It's reminding you constantly about smoking, and your subconscious mind knows that you are a smoker it it connects that it's it's like reminding you smoking 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 and or maybe it's to do with you know i won't drink the alcohol i won't drink the booze i won't drink the booze i won't drink the scotch or whatever the alcohol is i won't drink it i won't drink it i'm just not gonna i'm just not gonna drink scotch today i'm not gonna and what's your mind hearing your subconscious it's hearing alcohol scotch whatever kind of alcohol it is it's hearing those thoughts that are going through your mind and those thoughts even though you may not realize it are being repeated hundreds and hundreds of times and your subconscious mind is just like you know like scotch 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 and then eventually you just go and you just have it you have a drink or or you have a smoke or whatever it is and so it's it's such a struggle and then it becomes like this incredibly negative frustrating situation because you feel like well the more i try the worse it gets it's like a downward spiral i just i just might as well give up i can't do it 
you know and then you get so discouraged and it, your addiction becomes even more cemented it becomes more of who you are and so you have to turn it around like one of my clients that i worked with um this client was having having issues with food and and she kept saying i'm not going to i'm not going to eat the bread i'm not going to eat the pasta i'm not going to eat so much pasta i'm not going to eat so much bread and what did she do well she just really kept on eating a lot of the the carbs that were causing problems for her. and so she learned to say i'm going to be healthy I'm going to be healthy. So she was turning it around and thinking about the healthy foods and the healthy aspect of what she was going to eat. I enjoy salads. I enjoy salads. And at first she said it was really hard, but she said the fact was I do enjoy salads. And so I just focused on the things that were healthy for me that I do enjoy and I just kept reminding my myself to think about those. And in other words, she said, I started framing things in a positive way instead of repeating those those thoughts in my mind that would remind me of the negative foods. Like, I won't eat pizza, I won't eat pizza, I won't eat pizza, is really, to your subconscious mind, reminding you constantly about pizza. So that's not something that's going to help you. And with all the work I've done with hypnosis, well, hypnosis is all about the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind compared to the conscious mind. And how do we, how do we use what we know about the subconscious mind to change these patterns? And there's a lot we can do. And we can do it ourselves or we can get help. We can do it ourselves or we can get help. It just takes longer if you do it yourself. At least that's my experience. So first of all, we want to make sure that we're not causing emotional patterns going over and over and over in our minds that are negative and then making the situation worse. So we just need to understand that our subconscious mind stores everything. It stores all our memories. It stores all our emotions. And it attaches thoughts and ideas to those emotions. So if you had a situation happen when you were a little child, and in that situation you believed you were a bad person, you believed that what was happening at that time was your fault. And this is not unusual. This is very, very standard for little children to believe that whatever is happening at a given moment is their fault. And there doesn't have to be any rational reason for it whatsoever. They just believe it because that's the, the stage their brain is at. And the, the difficulty is that that becomes an established idea. So that thought is attached to an emotion, attached to a memory. And then as that person gets older, the thought keeps replaying, replaying, replaying. Whatever's happening is my fault. Whatever's happening is my fault. What other people think is my fault. Oh dear, I must change things so that that person won't think that way. When in fact, what other people think 
is not my fault. And what other people think does not matter, really. If you don't like the podcast, you'll go listen to another podcast and that's fine. And and if you don't like the sound of my voice, that's okay. You just go and listen to another podcast or go and do some gardening, you know? Like, because as Wayne Dyer said, what other people think of you is none of your business. And when I first heard that, I, I mean, I remember hearing it for the first time and thinking, well, that's weird. Well, that's weird. What other people think of you is none of your business. And so at first, it just seemed like such a foreign thought. And then as I thought about it a bit more, I'm like, no, I see what he means. Like, really, like people can think what they want. It's not up to me to feel discouraged or negative or upset if I think somebody else is thinking something. Or even if they tell me they're thinking something. They they tell me, geez, I I hate your your singing. I hate your music. Well, you can hate it. But it's not any of my business. In other words, Bruce, don't take that on. Don't take that on as something that is affecting the way you live your life. So these negative thoughts that we can sometimes develop as children, they just keep replaying and replaying and replaying. And this is a subconscious pain that can be going on on repeat over and over and over. And the more stored subconscious pain we have, the more we will start seeking some kind of way to quell that pain, to push down that pain. Because we thrive on pleasure. We seek pleasure, not pain. And so we want to escape that, that pain that can be in the form of, of subconscious voices. And so what do we do to seek pleasure? Well, I don't have to tell you that. Food, alcohol, marijuana, substances of various kinds... Uh, sex. There's a whole lot of different ways that we as humans seek pleasure so that we can quell that pain. But what we have to actually realize is that if we are in pain and if we are feeling like we're a victim and we're feeding into that, well, first of all, we have to be gentle with ourselves. We have to be gentle in this relationship with ourselves because otherwise then what we do is we begin to put down ourselves and we start to speak to ourselves in this nasty put down way that I call the inner bully and we start saying all these horrible things about ourselves and then that's when the downward spiral begins. That's when the downward spiral happens. And then the more you put yourself down, the more you seek pleasure, and the more you feel pain, the more you seek pleasure. And that, of course, uh, leads to addictions. And maybe you don't have an addiction. Maybe you just haven't identified it as an addiction. Maybe, maybe your addiction is, is overworking, you know, 
working, 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 you're making a lot of money, you're working, 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 you're making a lot of money, but you're not happy. You don't have great happy relationships in your life or you don't have um, other aspects of your life that give you pleasure. Well, and that can be why, because you, you know, your subconscious mind is trying so desperately to keep you safe and to find pleasure for you but that overall, you're not really experiencing pleasure. Next week, I'm going to talk more about specific activities, specific things you can do to help you through some of these challenges that may have been caused as a result of attachment issues. One of them is music. Associate yourself with with music. Listen to music that stirs you or create music. Even if you think it's not great, it doesn't need to be great. It's to feed you. It's to connect your inner subconscious with your conscious mind. And it connects your heart with your mind. Get out into nature. Take long walks. Journal. Sit down and write down your, your thoughts and your feelings. There are other things. Yoga. Yoga is incredibly powerful. A great way to connect your, your body and mind and connect your, your conscious and your subconscious mind. There are a lot of activities that do that. Running does that and swimming. So try to bring some of those things into your life and And next week, we'll talk more about attachment and how we can learn to get unstuck. We can learn to move through some of these challenges. Thank you so much for listening. And this gives you some food for thought about how attachment can be affecting your life right now. And I'm just so grateful for my clients who have trusted me to help them through some of the issues that they have in their life that very often as we work together we find out that they do boil down to attachment issues but through hypnosis it's surprising how quickly we can go in there to some of those events that happened we see what the thoughts are that are surrounding those events and then we can attach new thoughts. So we're not changing the events, not trying to change what happened. We're just going in there thinking about, okay, I see where that certain thought became attached to that event. And then I grabbed that thought and kept replaying it a zillion times in my life. Oh, okay. Now I'm going to change that thought to this thought. We're going to reattach some new positive thoughts that work for me now. And the fact is, back at that time when the event happened, that thought probably served you. But now, maybe it doesn't. So we can reattach new thoughts through hypnosis. So I'm very grateful to be helping my clients through hypnosis, and possibly I can help you too. So jump on, on a Zoom call with me. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Just put the word attachment in the subject line. And then I'll know that you heard about this on this episode because the episode is called Attachment Theory and Mindfulness. Put attachment in the subject line. 
send me an email and we'll set up a, a time to talk. And, and you know what? You can heal. You can move forward. You can feel way more content. You can feel so much more happiness as a result of some of this work that can be done. So you can work on it on your own or reach out to me and we can make it happen a lot faster. So happy Father's Day, whoever you are, wherever you are, and thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks, as always, for being a listener of the show. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for leaving a review at Apple Podcasts. I always appreciate that. So I hope this episode has been an eye-opener for you and helped you to understand that you are enough. You are a good person. Don't be listening to voices in your head telling you you're not. Attachment issues can cause all kinds of things happening, including that inner bully. So yeah, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Maybe you're experiencing anxiety or stress. Maybe you just seem to be, maybe you just seem to be stuck and you can't move forward. Well, I can help you with that. I can help you with that using this powerful tool of hypnosis. And it really does make an incredible difference. Self-hypnosis has helped me. Hypnosis has helped my clients so much to move through some extremely challenging issues. So if that's you, just make sure you make up your mind to do this for you. You are worth it. Send me an email so that we can have a 30-minute chat. Put in the subject line, attachment, because that is the name of this episode. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. I look forward to hearing from you and just wish you have a wonderful week. And don't forget, stay in the mode, reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. And like I said, stay in the mode, mindfulness mode.